Well, good morning, everyone. If you don't know me, my name is Paul, and uh, I have the privilege of leading the team that oversees New Life Community Church. Um, I was considering, like, winding back the years a little bit, 2001, the men's England football team were on the brink of not qualifying for the World Cup, and they had one more game against Greece in order to turn things around. Otherwise, they were going to be they were going to be out. And I remember, as a 21-year-old, watching that game, and England they they're not they're not playing very well, and it wasn't looking good. And David Beckham was captain of the team, one of my personal little football heroes. Okay, not these little, but you know, personal football hero. He was captain of the team at the time, and I found myself actually as a person who loved football, to be completely mesmerized by the way he took responsibility in a time of crisis for the team. He was supposed to be playing like right midfield. That was typically his position. But in an effort to raise the performance levels of his teammates around, he retook the game by the scruff of the neck and began to occupy multiple different positions all over the pitch. He was on TikTok. You can see him. He's everywhere, trying to make something happen. But despite that effort, England found themselves 2-1 down and on their way of being out of reaching those World Cup finals. So on the brink of the whistle, final whistle sounding, England's, they get a free kick. Ooh, okay. A good 30 yards away from goal. And if they get a goal and they draw, there's still a chance of qualification. Up steps Beckham. And he takes responsibility for this crucial and high-pressured moment. And of course, if you know the story, he scores. Stadium goes wild. People bouncing up and down across the country in pubs and living rooms. And that goal is enough to take England through to the World Cup Finals 2002. I remember it's the commentator's reaction, which I found was quite amusing. He goes, I, he scores, and he goes, I, I don't believe it. David Beckham has scored the goal that takes England through to the World Cup Finals. Give that man a knighthood. I think that good leaders stand out in moments of crisis. They take responsibility. They are willing to make the big decisions and they're prepared to carry the cost of those decisions personally. We are continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark and we're going to look at some leadership in times of crisis. And we're going to look at leaders who surrender, leaders that run, and leaders that strike. And so I'm going to pray that God's word will do what we have come to expect it to do. It's going to teach us. It's going to challenge us. And it's going to encourage us. That the grace of God flows through the text. It, it flows through this text. And my hope is that we'll experience that as well as a body together. Take it away with us into our everyday lives. That others may experience that grace too. So Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, it's living and active, Father. And it's already been prayed, really. Uh, Lord, we set our expectation high, Lord, really, on, on, on its ability to transform us, Lord. These are not just words on the paper. 
These are breathed out by your spirit, and we pray that it will do us good this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to grab some water. Okay, so we're rooted in Mark chapter 14, verses 26 through to 72. Okay, it's a quite a huge chunk of text. So that's Mark 14, 26 through to 72. So what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to share the context in which we find some of these leadership examples in times of crisis, and then we'll pick out some verses that help connect the dots as we go along. Okay, so a bit of context then. So in these verses, we arrive, we're arriving at a really low point for several groups of people. It's a low point for Jesus, it's a low point for his disciples, and it's a low point for the Jewish leaders who've been plotting to get rid of Jesus. Jesus has just shared his final meal with his disciples in what is famously known as the Last Supper. And he uses that meal to illustrate what is going to be happening pretty soon. His body's going to be broken and his blood's going to be poured out for the many. And this is really still a point of confusion for the disciples. But nonetheless, they sing a hymn together and they head out into the evening to a place called the Mount of Olives. And if you imagine at will an elevated landscape at dusk covered with olive trees and in view adjacent to it the temple of Jerusalem. And as he walks and he talks with his disciples, he starts to descend from the Mount of Olives and pauses at a place called Gethsemane. And it's still within the grounds of the olive groves. But Gethsemane, interestingly, means oil press. And so this was the, really the place of the production for olive oil, where the olives were gathered together from the trees, they would be crushed, and the pulp pressed to squeeze out the oil. It's really highly significant because Jesus enters this place with his disciples at a time when he is feeling the weight of this press upon him. He knows what's coming. And he's already beginning to experience it. And so he is our first example when it comes to looking at leaders in crisis. We're going to start by looking at leaders who surrender. So we'll read from Mark chapter 14, just from verses 32 to 36. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. You 
Jesus, he knows what's on the horizon. He knows what's coming. He knows he's about to be crushed. He knows his body is about to be broken. And he knows his blood's about to be poured out. And he also knows that his death will not be the end. But that's, that is not the weight that is pressing upon his shoulders. He says to his, in his prayer to his father, Abba, Father, all things are possible for, possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Now, the cup that Jesus is referring to is a metaphor used in Scripture to describe the wrath of God. This was the reason that Jesus came, to bear that which should have been ours. The wrath of God is this righteous, rightful anger of God towards all those who have sinned, all those who have turned away from him and his ways. And that is all of us. God's anger... His wrath is not ill-tempered, it's not wild, it's not untamed, and it's not uncontrollable. It's perfectly weighed and measured and applied in accordance with his perfect nature. And this gospel, this good news for all people is anchored in this moment where Jesus came to bear the wrath of God upon his shoulders, to take that which should have been ours upon him. He bore the rightful response of God to a world of sin in order to give us a fresh start with God, a clean slate, a new beginning to save us from his wrath. God, he acted out of this extraordinary love for us by sending his son. And here, the son of God was beginning to feel the press of that weight in the garden of Gethsemane. So what does Jesus do? When crisis comes, when that crisis comes, when he's feeling the weight of what's coming, when he knows what's coming on the horizon, when he knows what's going to happen next, when he knows what he must do, and he's wrestling with it, how does he respond? He takes himself away from any external noise. He asks his disciples to wait while he goes a little bit further by himself and into a place of intimacy with his heavenly Father. Just him and God the Father. And here he lays himself bare. He lets his heavenly Father know just where he's at and how he's feeling, but ultimately he surrenders to his Father's will. The weight of the Father's wrath for a world that had turned against him the wrath for past, present, and future sin was beginning to press on his shoulders. And no one, no one would want to feel or experience that type of pressure. And Jesus can carry a lot, that type of heaviness. And yet he surrenders the way forward to his Father, lays down his own will in order to embrace, embrace another's. He surrenders. And I think that's interesting, really, because I think in our culture, we might view surrendering as a form of weakness, like a white flag moment that gives way to the opposition. But here, in what Jesus models to us, we should consider surrender to be of great strength and a great character quality for anyone we might consider to carry leadership responsibility. Because firstly, surrendering demonstrates a great respect and honor to the one you are surrendering to. And in times of crisis, there can be a, 
a lot of voices in the room. Some panic being displayed. And therefore, you need to choose the voice above all other voices that's going to help see you through. And Jesus models that at his point of feeling greatly distressed and troubled, there is one voice that he needs to hear, one voice above all other voices, the voice he can completely depend and trust upon, the voice that will see him through for good purpose. In this case of crisis, surrendering is not a form of weakness, but indeed a display of strength, recognizing that the Father's voice, his leadership, his direction, his ways, his voice is to be the one voice to be heard and relied upon above all other voices. Jesus surrenders his will to the Father. Let's turn our attention to the example we have of leaders who run. So in verse 27, Jesus prophesies right, to his disciples that you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So in speaking this verse, Jesus is referring to himself as the shepherd and the disciples as the sheep. And the way the disciples will respond with this um, impending crisis that's going to happen, of course, the disciples, they strongly disagree with Jesus, effectively saying that this will never happen. We will not fall away, they say to him. And Peter, you've got to love Peter, he takes it one step further in saying, well, well, all of these other guys, they might fall away, but I, I won't do that. You can count on me. Let's read together from verses 43 to 50. So we're in Gethsemane in this time of pressing for Jesus, and he has returned to his disciples after time spent with his heavenly father, and he says to them, Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. 43 to 50. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled and they all left him and fled. Okay, so here we have a group of leaders that in a crisis they run. Has anyone experienced anything like that? You know, when you've got guys around, could be friends, could be family, work colleagues, guys who are carrying responsibility, people you depend upon, particularly people you hope to count on when times get tough, these guys that you're actually intending to rely upon in time of crisis. I got, it's a very trivial example, but I th thought I'd share this one with you. 
I remember me and my friend, we used to play golf in this public field area, which was next to a load of residential houses near where I used to live. And we only had like a seven iron each, and we were about to tee off down the long stretch because we, you played to the tree, okay? We didn't have flags or anything like that. You played to the tree down the stretch. Well, my friend, he goes first, and he hooks his ball so bad that it bends to the left and it hits the bedroom window of one of the houses. Now, the window, thankfully, didn't break, okay? But it just so happened that the person who lived there was by that window. And he pops his head out and he is very angry. And he is screaming at me. To which I turn around to discover that the reason I'm the subject of this attention is that my great mate has run off around the corner. And he's hiding and also, also giggling. <laughs> so I end up taking one for the team. A crisis really tests leadership. It's all well and good carrying leadership responsibility when things are going well, but leadership really stands out when the pressure comes. You know, who is going to take the free kick in the final moments of the game? Who's going to shoulder the responsibility of the golf ball that's just hit someone's window? Who's going to take it if it goes wrong? And there might be many of here for it, who've had that experience of having people around them who have carried some sort of leadership responsibility. Could be a parent, could be a work colleague, but when that pressure came, when that crisis came, they were so, suddenly they turned around and those guys were nowhere to be seen. Do you know what? It's actually, and to just, just to counter that, it's a really tough thing to stand up and be counted in those times. And the disciples had it doubly, doubly tough because Jesus, he's already called it, said it's going to happen. That in that time of crisis, these guys, you're going to run. So it would have been ticking away in the back of their mind. Then, of course, the opportunity comes in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is their moment to prove Jesus and the scripture wrong. And they flopped, they fled, they ran. Some of you might be able to empathize with that. You know, distinctly remember a time when you should have stood and taken responsibility, but instead you ran and hid in that time of crisis. I just want to say really in response to that, there's grace and there's hope for you. I can definitely remember a few times, key times in my life, where I should have stood up and been counted for. And there, I remember times when I instead shrunk back. And instead of standing firm, was really found myself hiding around the corner. And so to add, I want you to bear in mind that all of these guys including the also defiant Peter, they were hand-picked by Jesus to be his disciples. Hand-picked because Jesus saw in them something maybe they did not. Future leaders, hand-picked to carry great responsibility. He had invested himself in them with great intentionality for great purpose. 
And here, in that crucial moment of crisis, one disciple who betrays him and the rest run away at a time when they should have stood up and been counted for. And yet, despite their reaction, there is grace and hope for them. And there is grace and there's hope for you and me. And if you're sitting here feeling like that, there's stuff in life that you've run away from, or maybe you're even running away from that now. When you know that you should of or should be standing and taking responsibility, I want to say there's grace and there's hope for you. And we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end. We're going to finish by just, uh, well, we're going to neck out Look at our next category. So examples of leaders who strike. So Jesus is betrayed into the hands of the Jewish leaders. That is the, the high priests, chief priests, elders and the scribes. And he's taken from that place in Gethsemane where he's feeling the weight of that press and led to the temple courtyard which stands adjacent to the Mount of Olives. And it's here that these leaders are now trying to draw out anything from Jesus that would give really a credible reason to sentence him to death. So we're going to read together from verses 55 through to 65. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witnesses against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another, not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest, he tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. So these guys... Jewish leaders, they're getting incredibly frustrated with the little progress they're actually making with this Jesus of Nazareth. They just need something to pin on him. And yet as much as they try to throw at him, nothing's sticking. No testimony can stand. No accusation had any merit. It all just keeps falling short. Now a critical moment happens where the high priest asks Jesus that direct question, are you the Christ? the son of the blessed. And Jesus responds with, I am. And so this, as far as the high priest is concerned, that's it, that's the open door. The open door to condemn Jesus and to achieve what they set out to achieve, which was his death sentence. Now, of course, all of this must happen. (laughs) We know this must happen. 
because it's only through the death of Jesus that people can be given new life with God. But what staggers me is the, is the brutality of those carrying a, a leadership responsibility for those considered as God's people. Once that breakthrough occurs for them, they just go about the business of fully venting their frustration and anger upon Jesus by spitting on him and covering his face and striking him. If God's wrath against his people was a display of perfectly handling a righteous anger, here was the complete opposite at work. Ill-tempered, uncontrolled frustration, quick to violence. The crisis for the Jewish leaders was really this rapid rise of Jesus amongst the Jewish people. They disliked the attention given to him, the influence he was having, the teaching he was delivering alongside the miracles that he was performing. They disbelieved that he was the one that God had promised to come, this son of man, identified in the scriptures in Daniel 7 as the one God would give dominion and glory and a kingdom, this one to whom all nations and peoples and languages would serve, this one whose dominion would be an everlasting one and his kingdom would never be destroyed. They could see that their jobs were in trouble, their integrity in question, and their hearts were hard toward the possibility that Jesus could be the Christ, that he could be the one, the son of the blessed. And so they struck. To, and to achieve what they wanted to achieve, they dealt dishonestly, they manipulated, they sought to trip up Jesus, to humiliate him publicly, they twisted and they turned, and when they finally had Jesus where they wanted, these Jewish leaders who had responsibility for the care of God's people, these guys who were above all other things were supposed to serve. Instead, they struck and they began to beat him. I don't know if you've ever seen like uh, the series Cobra Kai on Netflix. It's like a spin-off from the 80s film Karate Kid. Well, the Cobra Kai philosophy is this. It's built around this. Strike first, strike hard, no mercy. It's funny, really, because I think that actually even today, again, in our cultural climate, the concept of leaders who strike with that type of philosophy would seem to be held, I think, in high regard and sought after than that of leaders who would seek to surrender, seek to consider the voices, the most valuable voice to listen to. Because one is valued more as strength versus the other one more as weakness. As we... Come to bring this all together, there is this, this is critical moment in the final verses of our text where our dear Peter, who has followed Jesus through to that courtyard, this place where Jesus was being quizzed and beaten, it's here that Peter is recognized as one of Jesus' disciples. And it's here that Peter, this defiant man who would never fall away, even if all the disciples do, it's here that Peter denies even knowing who Jesus is. And it says in the scripture that when he'd realized that he had fulfilled what Jesus had said of him, when he realized that he had done exactly what he'd said he would not do, the scripture says that he broke down and wept. I want to finish by talking about the grace of God. And this is the way that God chooses to love us and do us good 
despite all of our failures and our flaws. God's kindness to us is not based on the way that we behave. It is just there, present and available for each and every one should we choose to accept it. Now, for every follower of Jesus, there's clearly a type of leadership that we want to be aspiring (laughs) to, especially in times of crisis. Jesus models that way as one who is at his deepest moment of need, comes before God, surrenders himself and says, not my way, but your way. That in your most challenging times, you hold God as the highest value, the one most trustworthy to lead you, and the one you can depend upon to help you accomplish your calling in life. That there will be obstacles, that there will be times of crisis, but that you keep coming back to him. Because he knows what's best for you. And that surrendering to him in that moment of crisis may not just do you good, but also might accomplish a significant work of good for others. Sometimes that is what it is to be a leader that takes responsibility. That is what it is to stand up and to be counted. It's to lay yourself down and surrender wholeheartedly to God's way and not your way. However, it's likely that in moments of crisis, we have been been leaders who have run away. That we fled from the scene. That we've moved ourselves far away as possible from letting God lead you. And it hurts when you realize it. I know that it's broke me. When I know that I should have stood up and been counted for. When I should have stood up and taken responsibility. When I should have surrendered. But the grace of God is that that's not the end. God is not done with you when you fall short. And in fact, Jesus doesn't scold the disciples when he rises from the dead. He doesn't say, hey, wait, 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 wait a minute. Where were you? Where were you when they came for me? He doesn't rebuke them. He's not angry with them. And instead of holding it over them, he does something radically different. He restores them. There's this beautiful moment where Jesus is with Peter after the resurrection. And you can find that in John 21. And in response to Peter's denial of Jesus three times, Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? Of course, Peter goes, you know I love you, Lord. And in that moment, Jesus not only restores his relationship with Peter, but he gives him a precious and significant responsibility. He entrusts to him the care of the current and future followers of Jesus into his hands. He says, shepherd, feed my sheep, love my sheep. With the exception of Judas, who betrayed Jesus, you've got 11 misfit disciples, all who ran away in this crucial moment of crisis, all who were restored and became significant carriers of the gospel of Jesus. The good news, this beautiful good news that Jesus came to restore runaways just like them. 
They spread that good news. They looked after the believers and they served the poor among them. You know what? And also we have many examples in the scriptures of the way that these guys, they may have ran away then, but we have record of them being counted for in times of crisis because they became leaders that surrendered to God's way instead of their own. Sometimes as well, that came at a great cost, but they didn't flee from the scene. They took responsibility and they stood. That is what the grace of God does. It restores. It restores. It's also likely that we've been leaders that in moments of crisis, we struck. Even struck first and hard with no mercy. We've hurt people. Maybe not intentionally, but we might have manipulated or been dishonest or humiliated people. And that's been done for numerous reasons. There's this guy called Paul in the Bible who was part of that Jewish contingent of leaders who sought the death of Jesus. He wasn't there when they pulled in Jesus. But he certainly inherited their culture and he was fully committed to the cause of eradicating those who claimed to follow Jesus. Paul, this guy who is embracing this strike-hard philosophy, has this radical encounter with the surrendering Jesus. And the grace of God for him was that Paul was to discover this moment of exchange. An exchange of leadership that would strike for a leadership that would surrender. His life, it completely turned around. And he too became a person who would be significant in carrying the good news about Jesus into the world whilst also caring for those who gave themselves to following Jesus. Someone who would also, through surrender, stand up and be counted for the sake of Jesus and at times with great cost. Can I have the worship team? I invite the worship team on. And if you're able, can I invite you guys to stand, please? Lord, I just even now just want to invite you, Lord, to come by your Holy Spirit and prepare our hearts, Lord. We thank you for your word, Lord. And we thank you for what it teaches us and how it shapes us. And I pray that your grace would meet with us right here, right now. I think the grace of God is here this morning to meet with us. God's great kindness available no matter the circumstances should you choose to accept it. And I really, I think God's just going to put his finger on a few of you this morning. And I think... 
That might feel like a light touch. It might feel like a, a heavier touch, okay? So in looking at the scriptures, I just feel, you know, as part of response, there may be some here who have felt guilt for running away in times when you were needed to stand and be counted. I just want to say God's grace is for you this morning. And there's also, I think, I want to say to you, there's the kindness of God here to meet with any of you who have felt guilty for striking hard, for hurting someone with no mercy. And maybe that's not intentionally, but even so, you still wrestle with that now. And I believe God wants to show his love for you because despite our flaws and moments of failure, he wants you to know his great care and affection for you. And this is a call for you really to surrender yourself afresh to him. And I want to say that as we worship together, you might be able to do that personally right where you are but there also might be some for whom actually this is quite a difficult thing to do. And you might need some help in doing this. You might need some help in receiving the kindness of God. And if that's you, I would like to encourage you to come forward for prayer or just invite the person next to you to pray for you. So as we just consider these things and we just allow God to just put his finger on you and finish with a question, what kind of leader do you want to be? In times of crisis, what kind of leader do you want to be? You know, I personally, I want to stand and to be counted, but I don't want to do that of my own accord. I really want to do that in line with God's heart for that situation. And so when challenge comes, ultimately I want to be like Jesus and to be a leader that surrenders my will to his, confident that he will lead me through for my good but also for the good of others. And I'll tell you now, I'm going to fall short of that. If you aspire to do the same, to be a leader that surrenders, you will fall short of that. But thank God for his grace. Thank God for his kindness toward us in all circumstances, should we choose to embrace it. Let's all aspire to be leaders that don't run or hide in a time of crisis, leaders that don't strike first, but let's be leaders that aspire to surrender first, that we may come under the will of God, seeking His way, not our way. Amen? So Father, I pray for those in this room, Lord God, who have run away and feeling the guilt of that. I pray for those in this room who have struck hard and first and they're feeling the weight of that, Lord God. And I thank you, Lord, at times there are moments where we get pressed in order that we may do the one thing that you intend us to do and that's to come away and surrender ourselves to you. 
And I pray, Lord God, even now that we would do great business with you, Lord God, because your grace and your kindness is there for us if we are ready to accept it. And I pray, Lord, would you shower us and would you soften us and would you open our hearts to your will and your way this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.